Greetings, and welcome to the SLIS Colloquia, a program now in our seventh consecutive semester brought to you by your School of Library and Information Science here at San Jose State University. I am Dr. Anthony Bernier, and along with Dale David, our technical producer, we are bringing you this series as part of our school's vision to be recognized as a leader in graduate education in library and information science. Before I introduce today's speaker, a few announcements. Please look for our new colloquia presentations on the SLIS webpage throughout the term. You will also find there a webcast archive of all of our previous seven semesters of presentations on the SLIS homepage at sliswb.sjsu.edu. We also offer our colloquia as free podcasts. Details on how to access these presentations, either through the RSS feeds or the iTunes store, can be found on the colloquia page. Viewers can also watch the SLIS colloquia on Blip TV, the popular video sharing website. The SLIS Blip TV channel can be accessed at sjsuslis.blip.tv. For our students, I would like to encourage you to visit a special website detailing the social networking opportunities the school offers for you to virtually connect with uh, SLIS students. It's on our, it's, um, our own social networking wiki site. The school also maintains another wiki called Cool Web 2.0 Tools, which offers a way to share and learn about the rapidly changing resources you'll want to know about. I also might remind you that we maintain a, dyna a dynamic homepage that should become something else you check regularly for school updates, resources, and news. Those comments are for our SLIS students, but for everyone else in the SLIS community, I'd like to call your attention to the school's receptions this fall at several of our professional conferences. Our ARMA reception will be hosted by Dr. Pat Franks in Orlando, Florida in mid-October. Also in mid-October, Dr. Ken Haycock and the faculty will be hosting a SLIS reception at the annual Internet Librarian Conference in Monterey, California. And at the end of October, Dr. Haycock and the faculty will be hosting our annual reception at the California Library Association in Pasadena. All the details and RSVPs are available on our school's webpage, and we hope that, uh, that you will attend these professional conferences and take the opportunity to become better acquainted with the faculty, as well as meet up with classmates, friends, and colleagues. We hope you enjoy the colloquia presentations, and thank you for helping to make the series a success. Good morning. I'm Joni Richards-Bodar, the faculty member at the School of Library and Information Science here at San Jose State University. And this is Amy Cheney. Um, Amy is here with us today to share some of her experiences as a librarian at the Juvenile Detention Center for Alameda County Library. In the late 70s, I was a young adult coordinator in Modesto, California, and I and my co-coordinator every other week uh, because we were, our mission was to serve all of the teenagers in St Stanislaw County, we went every other week to the juvenile hall. Um, I was consistently surprised by the teenagers that I saw there and the books that interested them. Um, one of the people that I thought was most um, impressive was a young woman who read James Joyce for fun and was in the juvenile hall not because she had done anything wrong but because they couldn't figure out what to do with her and so that's where they stashed her. 
Years and decades later, I saw Amy Sidline in um, an email. We both belong to some of the same young adult listservs. And I was really curious about how somebody had come to do the same kind of thing that I had thought about doing back in the 70s. And so I got in touch with her and I said, can we work together? And um, here we are. So I, one of the things that I need to say about Amy is the fact that she isn't just a juvenile hall librarian. She has also, uh, uh, she's also the chairman of the Young Adult uh, Library Association Quick Picks Together, uh, Quick Picks Committee. She was one of the, she was selected as one of the school library journal movers and shakers. And she was selected as one of the winners in I Love My Librarian contest. But more impressive than that, she was presented uh, with the President's Award, Coming Up Taller Award uh, from the Committee on the Arts and Humanities, which is a national award for at-risk kids. And she and one of her students went to the White House and accepted the award from Laura Bush. And I know that was really an exciting time for you. And if you take a look at some of the slides that are running in back of us, uh, several of them have to do with that, um, that trip that she made. And um, I'd kind of like to start with some history about how your program got started. Uh, were you the first librarian to provide services at the juvenile hall? And was it your idea or did a job position that already, already existed come up? Um, we, we have a wonderful extension services at Alameda County Library and we have a bookmobile. And our bookmobile went to, there's a lockdown facility and then there's a lot of juvenile halls, they have a lockdown facility and then they have a sort of where the kids go. To, to stay, but it's not locked down. So our juvenile hall went, our bookmobile went to the, what's called the camp, and, um, and we provided library service that way. And then there was the question, well, what do we do with the kids that are in the lockdown facility? Um, and actually, the county librarian at that time was Linda Wood, and I believe Jean Hofackett was the deputy county librarian. Um, they, along with the superintendent of schools, Sheila Jordan, um, and the head of extension services, Carolyn Moscovich, and the head of literacy, which was Sherry Drobner at that time, they all got together and said, we, and the probation department, um, I believe it was Chief Blevins at that time, all got together and said, you know, let's create an opportunity for the youth. We have been serving also adult prisoners, and it was really through that experience, and I served the adult prisoners as well, and it was like, wow, these people are having time to read, because I, I don't know what the national average is about the reading levels at that, but it's not good. Right. And my kids, they're at about a fifth grade reading level. So when we were serving the adult inmates, it's like, wow, they actually have the time, they're reading a lot, they're, they're looking at the context of their lives and the context of why they're here, and we need to start this in the juvenile hall. So I think it was a combination of all of those factors that came together. Um, and then also when I was at serving the, um, <laughs> serving the inmates, it was right at the time, the adult inmates, it was right at the time when Terry McMillan's first book came out, Mama, which was, as you probably all know, just a huge event. And she lived right where the adult facility was. So I was, 
you know, one of these people, it's just like, no. And I just <laughs> called her up and I said, would you come talk to them? And she was thrilled. And that sort of, I think, prompted the, uh, because I was only working part-time originally at the juvenile hall, and so it was like, how can we make the biggest impact? Let's bring in authors, because that really inspires people to read when they meet the author. And that's when you decided to, to put together the Right to Read program. Well, the Right to Read is our literacy program. Okay. So we're Alameda County Library, then we have extension services. Within extension services, we have a literacy program that serves adults and juveniles. So the Right to Read is the adult and juvenile literacy program. Okay, so you ended up starting a, a program with authors so that they can come and visit mm -hmm. um, your library, your kids. Mm -hmm. And they're doing that with the adults as well? No. No, just no. with? No, I'm saying it started with, I just had the idea, called Terry McMillan, she came in. I also, the other popular author was How to Write Love Letters. So I actually got him to come up for the adults. That was it. Then when we moved to the juvenile facility, we, uh, my boss, Sherry Drobner at the time, wrote a grant to bring in authors, because I was only working theoretically part-time, theoretically with the girls. And so how can we make the biggest impact to um, really get these girls reading? Um, because contrary to popular belief, um, the, a lot of the women that I saw in the, you know, I think there's like this thing like girls read better than boys or something. I don't get that because the women in the adult facilities are some of the lowest level people I've ever met in my life in terms of their literacy skills. And so we really wanted to address the girls and I'm glad we did. So anyway, at that point we brought in the authors cool. for the girls. Um, you're talking about some uh, qualities of the kids, their reading level and mm -hmm. so on. Now, who are the kids mm -hmm. that you serve? Mm -hmm. And how are they different from the kids that might come into a branch library? Mm -hmm. uh, well, okay, let's see, that's a good question. So primarily the kids we serve because of disproportionate minority confinement and really only because of that are African-American and Latino youth for, for the most part. There's, of course, you know, a lot, some Caucasian kids and such. Um, they ha do have an average reading level of fifth grade, although there's always the exception. There's mm -hmm. always the kid who's like reading Les Mis and, you know, Ulysses, and there's always that. <laughs> so you gotta have the whole range there at the hall. Um, you know, crime and punishment. But um, for the most part, they are not, have not had success with reading. Um, in fact, I had this young girl that told me, and they, they walk into a public library and they do not see themselves reflected. You know, and they cannot find that book. Now, my library, you walk in and you're everywhere. It's all, it's the whole thing is African American and Latino, you know, for that. And um, so I think that's, you know, the main difference is those kids are, What's the difference? I don't know. Um, They've gotten caught. It's something that you said um, when we talked about, when we were talking at your library. Yeah. And, and that they ended up in a system that punishes them for things that normally you wouldn't get punished for. Right, I mean, you have, to, you have to realize that, okay, there are kids in there that are deep in the gang life or deep in the drug culture and that kind of stuff. But primarily what happens is um, kids are removed from the home due to abuse or neglect. 
and that's a, a 300 status that's the criminal it's not a criminal code but it's like the code so that's a 300 you're a foster youth you're removed from the home due to abuse or neglect and then what happens is they go to a group home and they become the group home or the state becomes their parent I might not have this exactly right okay so don't like go quoting me on all this but <laughs> and then they um, when they're a ward of the state they have certain conditions of, of that they have to live by so you have to go to school you have a curfew no drinking no smoking no drugs um, okay let's see I was a teen I did every single one of those things no running away I ran away I did drugs I did all that and what happens is because there's not a parent then where do you put them? The group home, it's too risky for them to go back, so they end up in a juvenile hall, and they become a 601, which is actually a criminal um, code. And then think about this, okay? So you run away from the group home, or you don't go to school, and then you steal something. Okay, I'm sorry, I also stole when I was a child, okay, when I was a youth, you know? Candy, whatever. Then if you steal something, that's then you're you become a criminal and then of course it, it gets it gets progressive because you've ran away you're out there you're on the streets right. you know you're fine this guy finds you whatever so that's the deal and <clears throat> those kinds of kids are the kind of kids that when they go into a public library what kind of treatment did they see? Oh God, I don't know. Here we are at library school. I got <laughs> I mean, please. This people. is a dirty little secret. Yes, people. You, I mean, I had, one of my friends is a librarian who will remain nameless, and it's like, okay, they come in, they want to use the computer, they don't have anywhere to go, they're like, ah, you know, they're loud, they're this, they're that, and it's like, shh, shh, quiet, 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 move, move, move. You can only have 15 minutes on the computer, you know, all this stuff. And it's just not fun. And plus, then they don't find the books that they want. And so we have to create teen spaces. We have to create spaces for these kids. We have to welcome them into the library. Their lives truly depend on it. And I'm sorry if you don't like their noise, but you're just going to have to deal with it. Does and that help? It helps. <laughs> And and um, and it's a real it's a real problem because you know I've worked in public libraries and it is it's a, I mean I've worked on the desk and it is so frustrating you do not know how to control these kids and you know other patrons are getting upset and there's you know so I understand the difficulties I really do um, and it really needs to be addressed it's absolutely crucial for our society that these kids are welcomed into the library. What, what always irritates me is when I see a, an, an adult, maybe even a senior citizen, uh, being really loud and yeah. being disruptive and right. nobody says anything. I mean, you've got to realize we are all influenced by these stereotypes. And so you see a group of, you know, young black men and it's like, ah, or young black girls and it's like, ah. And, you know, it's you've got to deal also with that whole issue as a librarian like what are your stereotypes and and you know what are your fears and deal with that so that you can really provide service and I suppose when they come into your library it's a whole different situation and one of the things um, that interested me when we were talking about um, your library and what you did with it, the actual physical surroundings, um, is that you don't use a Dewey Decimal System. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you organize? 
Well, I've got, okay, my, my situation is, and, and again, I'm really looking at the needs of the youth, and fortunately the administration is really supportive of that, and that's what you have to have. You have to have an administration that is supportive of that because it's definitely outside the box. I mean, my kids, they need something right now. If they are not a reader and they're excited about reading, get them the book now. So I'm not going through all the barcodes and, you know, cataloging and all that because that doesn't get them the book right now. That gets them the book two weeks from now. They may be gone. They may have lost interest. They may be dead for all I know. I mean, which is true. I'm not, that, that happens. So I have a very simple system, which is 21 genres. It was actually developed by our jails. I actually don't exactly know the history, but I know we use it in our jails. And it's great. It's like um, all the African, popular African-American fiction is under African-American. Um, the classics are under classics. And I'm talking, I put Toni Morrison under classics because kids are not going to go, they're not going to be all excited about Toni Morrison unless she comes to visit. Um, or just you have that weird, you know, that right. odd, odd one out. Um, so the whole thing is the 21 genres, and so in other words, when I, I get a book, I put a stamp on the top, I put a dot on the side, I put a piece of tape on, and I hand it to the kid. So it's very quick, it's very simple, and that serves the needs of the youth. One of the things that I found really interesting when I came to your library was where in the facility it's located and why you were so pleased to get that that room oh wow well when I first started you know if you're first starting in any kind of institution it's the worst and you just like go okay whatever you know you're going around with book cards and you're carrying all these boxes and you have nothing and so you know that was fine I'm used to that and the kid there was no space I mean I had the I had all these weird cabinets that I'd find places to put the books and all the units for the kids and now, I, got, I think there's one picture that's on there, and it's just fabulous. And I love giving tours, because I show like the dismal, dismal, dismal hall, and then, um, then the library, and it has windows, and it has plants, and, it, and actually I have just wonderful, wonderful administration, probation staff that I work with that um, you know, really worked with me to get a fabulous library in there. I mean, really great chairs, because usually you have just you know the plastic chairs or the plastic tables and it's just and that's how it should be you know the kids should have a sense that look there is another world here's 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 where you are here's where you are locked up and you know here's what education does for you here's what reading does for you this is the I I atmosphere and um, so how many other places where the kids are have windows well I believe not none yeah, that's that's what I found so interesting, is that somebody, whoever picked out that space mm -hmm. for you, knew that the library was actually a window on the world. Yeah, I think and, that. And it has yeah. a window, and to me, that is a really significant kind of it characteristic. It is, it is. I mean, and we are in a beautiful space. So it's up on this hill, and there's like gorgeous views of the bay. And literally, there are no the kids never see that unless they're actually outside on the on the yard or in the library. So a lot of times, kids will come into the library and they'll just stand at the window. It's like that's fine, that's fine with me. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Um, what uh, what kind of responses do you get from kids um, when they first come to the library? Are they 
interested in talking to you, working with you, getting books, <laughs> or do you kind of have to get them acclimated to, to what a library is? Well, when I first started working in the juvenile hall, they were really depressed and, you know, very distrustful. And, you know, it's like, who are you? And, you know, they, they just didn't trust that I was really going to be able to help them at all. Or not help them, I don't think they're looking for help, but give them any, anything that they, could be useful. Um, it, and I just had a lot of kids that weren't reading and that basically have given up. I mean, again, if you haven't found yourself reflected in a book or had a positive experience with a book in your life, it, you know, why bother? And if you've had negative experiences with school, why bother? So they were pretty depressed. Um, and there was a lot, staff definitely brought in books for them, which was great. But there was mostly like Reader's Digest or George Washington or something that, you know, who really wants to read that? So, um, so it, that was a challenge. And I got a lot of kids, you know, just like this. But now, I mean, <laughs> I can't even remember those days now because the, every kid that walks into that library, they'll smile. Cool. I mean, they smile because it's, again, it's free choice, it's windows, it's plants, it's, a lot of things are controlled in that institution, and it needs to be, uh, because uh, abused and neglected youth can be extremely violent, and so everything is controlled for their own safety and for the safety of people there. Um, but in the library, uh, they get to, they sit down, and then they get to get up and go wherever they want. I mean, that's a very significant thing as well. And so, literally, they walk in, and they're like, Wow, you know, light, color, action. Um, and every once in a while I get a kid that's just sitting there and I'm like, what's going on? A lot of them will say, oh, I got enough books in my room, but other ones will say, eh, I don't like to read. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely still get that, but it's become a culture there of reading. And that's exactly that's cool. what we wanted, exactly what we wanted because the kids tell each other and there's bookshelves in the units and it's happening, it's happening. Yeah. And so thinking about the kids that you work with there, is there somebody that springs to your mind as uh, one of the kids that, you're, that made a big change in their life because of the library? Is there somebody that, was, that you're particularly proud of? There's so, there's so many, there's so many. But whenever anybody asks me that question, I, I hope I'm not boring repeating myself, but this Tamika comes to my mind because she, <laughs> all right, she was 16 and never read a book in her life. And it's when you're in the hallway, the kids are walking in the hallway, they are not supposed to talk to anybody. You walk with your hands behind your back and you are quiet. And she would see me and she'd be like, Amy, Amy, I'm on page 10, I'm on page 10, you gotta go, you know? And I'd be like, oh, wow, you know? Yeah. And then I'd see her again, I'm on page 15, I'm on, and it was just, I mean, I still am so happy when I think about it. So I, and then one day, she was like, Amy, you have to come talk to me. You have to come talk to me. So I'm like, okay. And so in other words, what I'm saying is she was getting, she was getting, could get into trouble by right. saying right. that out loud, but right. she was so excited. So I went and talked to her, she goes, I can't read anymore. <laughs> and she was really upset. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I can't read. It doesn't make sense, something happened. And I said, and this is really key for librarians, teachers, et cetera. I said, do you like the book? She goes, no, no, I don't. I go, chuck it. I mean, forget about it. You can read, honey. You just need to find something you like to read. 
And she was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, let's go find you. She was really into Lois Duncan. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so, I mean, she had, that is what, ha you know, 16 years old, having your first experience with, positive experience with a book. I mean, how exciting is that? Then she came back and she told me that she taught her younger brother to read. Oh, cool. And so I was really, really oh, excited honey. about that. She yeah. got little picture books for him and, you know. Oh, that I like really that. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can yeah. see that. And I just love Tamika. She was, she just, just has such a great energy and yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, what kind of uh, outreach do you do? I mean, you said you were serving mostly a mon minority kind of population. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, outreach, well, I mean, you know, there's, there's a, the, all my kids are outside your library on the street corner, you know, and so go out there and talk to them. I mean, really do it. Um, it it's, so I guess what I'll say is that, um, that the kids can come out with a big old persona and, you know, like a lot of, sometimes I'll get those, the new kids that mm -hmm, come in library, mm -hmm. like, I need a book on drugs and guns and gangs. And I'll be like, are you new? <laughs> you know, like I really didn't have to ask, but, um, and I'll go, you know, and then I'll, I'll plan them to something like um, A Place to Stand or Ishmael Bea's book, and, and, and then they'll come back, which I think are very, they're not like shoot them up, bang, bang, you know, um, they're very thoughtful, they're very introspective about what's going on with a person in an, a violent situation, and they're just like, wow, that was such a good book. So, so the kids will come on with a persona, and they can be scary personas, and, and, and not to say that they can't be scary people, because there are some kids that's like, oh boy, man, I wouldn't want to be out on the street with this kid. But for the most part, you know, if you respect them and treat them as uh, you would any other person, and what you doing, and have you ever read, and are you interested in reading, I mean, those kind of bridges really need to happen, um, because these, they are neglected by society. They really are. It's like, I don't want to deal with you and your issues. And it's like, if you're not listened to, you're not respected, of course you're going to start to act out. Right. right. So um, you, you've talked about what your library is like and some of the kinds of books that are in it mm -hmm. um, and how your program got started. So what would you say to a library school student that was thinking about perhaps working with at-risk youth or working in a locked facility. What kind of maybe classes should they take or, you know, what, what Here's would you my say classes. To? Here's my classes. Get up at 5 in the morning, go work <laughs> in the produce store and cart around these big old heavy boxes and be like totally depressed. Commute 50 hours to some library where, I mean, you know, I, you know, it's like your life. Your life is is your classes. I don't, and and I also took a lot. I mean, in terms of classes, it's not really. I don't know if it's going to be in library school. You know, it's like African American literature. It's like going to the prison and volunteering. It's finding out about literacy. So it's it's more create use your life and also look outside the the school that you're in and maybe look for other other things that you're interested in. Okay. Yeah. Um, what do you think is makes you um, successful as a juvenile hall librarian? What kind of 
traits or characteristics? What do you what do you bring to the job that you give to the kids that makes the whole thing work? Well, I think I think you have to have like I'm actually you have to have a lot of confidence, and I actually don't, but I I can act like I do. So I have I have you a, do I have a very I have a very clear purpose, and my purpose is to serve those youth, and I am not going to be swayed by that end of story. So. Um, so, so that kind of kind of drive. Um, I think for me, I'm I'm a person that I can go in and do something. I I'm not a good write. You know, here's my five point plan, and here's this. It's like I need to go and experiment and try it out and see what works. And and you can do it either way, but you have to be a person that's committed to the actuality, not to the piece of paper that describes what you're doing. So can you take that piece of paper and actually implement what it's saying? You have to be able to do that. Um, you have to be able to work with, because what you really need to do is get respect from administrators, from staff, and from the students. If I don't have the respect of the staff, absolutely nothing is going to happen. Nothing. Because when I was working in the adult facilities, I mean, I had staff Put me, lock me in closets, ha ha ha, as a joke. Um, you know, leave me out there while they're having their cigarette. You know, I mean, it, because they, you really have to. So you have to be able to work with people and um, understand what their needs are and how to support their needs. And and sometimes they're conflicting. You know, like the the adult staff needs are conflicting with the in with the the kids. So actually, that's what, why the author really worked, because I would bring in authors that the staff also liked. So they oh. equalized the whole thing, and they all looked forward to it. The staff and the kids were like, let's go, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that some of the authors that you have brought in have continued to stay involved with some of the kids. Can you talk about that? How did the kids react to the authors? But how did the authors react to the kids? Well, I, I guess I would say it actually opposite of how you said it. Okay. Um, one, of, one of the things I really wanted to do is um, create another an e democracy, okay? Because, so here, here's an example. Um, this, this woman wrote a book called Love and Consequences. I forget her name, but anyway, it was this big thing, and she was this white girl, and she ended up like being a blood or a crip or one of them in this foster care with these black people and this book was coming out and they were all scheduled to come talk to our at our facility mm -hmm. and then literally they pulled the book I think two days before actually they probably had already published it but two days before the release date they're like oh we found out this this person has uh, fabricated her life now my girls were all excited to uh, meet her they had all read her book um, and when that book was pulled and it was in the news, my girls knew exactly what was going on. Wow. And they were talking exactly like you guys were talking. What, you know, some girls, I don't care. You know, that was like one of the best books I ever read. It doesn't matter. And another one was like, no way, she lied. She should be in prison. You know, so, I mean, that dialogue was the same that was happening out in the world. And that's what I think is really crucial in a democracy is that these kids are involved in the world. And so that's what's really important with the authors, like bringing in people such as, I'm going to name some adult authors that you wouldn't necessarily think right. to bring in, but Michael Eric Dyson or Dolores Huerta, who's not necessarily an author, but have books written about her. Or um, 
uh, authors that are in the public that they are going to see on TV. Like, so in other words, when I, one day I was walking in my neighborhood and this girl was like, book lady, book lady. <laughs> and, um, and she goes, whatever happened to that Michael Eric Dyson guy? Like, I, I haven't t seen him lately. Like, has he written enough? And you know, another, we'll see, because of what happened when I was a kid, I met Maya Angelou. Oh, and really? And when I was a kid, I, and you know what? Maya Angelou, pff, I was a teen, who cares? Whatever, <laughs> Maya Angelou, okay, fine. You know, sitting in the basement listening to Maya Angelou. But I will tell you, every time I see Maya Angelou now, I know I met her. And I see her books out there, and I know I met her, and I think that's what happens for the kids is that you, and so that's why it's great to get an author who is uh, somebody that is continuing to write because that, that impacts them their whole life. Right, just yeah. like it did you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned, um, I've forgotten her first name, I just wrote her last name down, uh, Ms. Huerta? Uh, Dolores Huerta. Dolores Huerta, okay. You said <laughs> um, on one of the slides, um, there's a picture of her, and uh, you said something about uh, after she came, the kids were reading Gandhi. Can you talk about oh that? Oh my gosh! Just a I mean, bit? yeah. Okay, so Dolores Huerta. A lot of people don't know who she is. Um, she's the co-founder of the United Farm Workers with Cesar Chavez, and um, so when she came out and spoke to the Max Unit youth, which are serious. I mean, these are kids that are looking at adult time. They are, they could be kids who have killed somebody, um, robbery with guns, you know, carjacking, that kind of stuff. And so not exactly your peaceful, nonviolent people. Um, and she had them, she talked about her nonviolent protest and what happened and, and she talked about Gandhi. And I, I mean, there was like almost a fight over the Gandhi books, which is just hilarious to me yeah, because yeah. No one's ever asked for Gandhi in my entire <laughs> career, you know, in an institution. So um, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these authors really make an impact on the kids when they come. What do they talk about? That the authors? The kids, yeah, the kids are so interested in. Well, um, their lives. Mm -hmm. Their lives. Yeah. And so they let kids know that they can... Uh, they can be failures that can turn themselves around? Well, yeah, I mean, if you put it that way, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, I, I think of the system as failing the kids more okay. as the kids being failures, but, and so authors can point that out, you know, because you're in your little world and like when Elaine Brown, who was a former Black Panther Party member came, I mean, they were like, wow, I never thought about actually standing up. For, did I, they don't think they have rights. They don't know they have rights. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, we have rights we could connect together. Um, or like Azim Kamisa, who's, he, his son was murdered, um, his only son was murdered, and he forgave the teen who killed his son, and in fact is one of the only visitors of this teen who was incarcerated in Pelican Bay. I mean, that's something, they're just like, what do you mean? Like, they, that's not in their reality, I don't believe, you know? I forgot your question. And but. so these authors, they show the kids that there can be a reality where you're into guns and drugs and other things like that, and then 
make a decision to go in a different yeah, direction. Yeah, that or like this guy whose son was killed and then he forgave the teen. That's mm -hmm. not in a lot of people's vocabulary. Right. And not, right. not to mention kids that are, you know, they're in it. Like I had one kid that said to me, we were talking about hate crimes. And he's like, yeah, you know, that happened to me. And I'm like, really? And he was, he was like a Serrano and there's a Norteño. It's like, that's not a hate crime. You know, but they really think it is. And, and they I, think they're acting in self-defense. What, what were the two words that you oh, used? Oh, these different gang, gang members. Okay, okay. And, and have you seen kids change and, and turn their lives around? Yeah, I mean, you know, literacy is not enough, for mm -hmm. sure. Absolutely, it's not enough. I mean, we absolutely, it's a foundation, um, but it's not enough. They need way more support. They need mentoring. They need a place to live. They need a job. So it's it's not enough, and I think I think a decision to change is an individual decision that mm -hmm. I try and nurture. Mm -hmm. um, I need to keep that flame alive, that hope alive, um, mm -hmm. that possibility. It's really a possibility. A lot of them don't even right. see, they see the possibility of another, another and, way. And how do you do that? How do you keep that flame alive? Well, I think by bringing in authors that are relevant, provocative, um, uh, relevant, relevant, relevant. You know, Ishmael Bay, I mean, a lot of kids, I want a book about drugs and guns, and it's like, okay, well, here's my top pick is Ishmael Bay. His whole family was murdered. Um, a lot of these kids do not have a family. Their families have been murdered. They are survivors of violence. And, they, and this guy then became a child soldier. He became a killer. He went out and murdered other people's families. Mm -hmm. And then he was in, and he changed. He's not doing that now. And so something like that, like being able to see an arc of a person's life. You know, you're a teen, you're just in this part. There is, there is a possibility afterwards. And how, how did the kids react to him? Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think he really impacted a lot of people's lives. And then other, if you've ever met Ishmael, he's very wonderful and just, just a bright spirit. And they didn't believe it. So there were some kids that were like, oh, come on. He, he didn't show us his, his scars. I don't believe it, you know. So I, I wrote to Ishmael, next time you come, you got to show your scar. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't look like them in a way because he's just, he's just like carefree and he's really relieved a lot of that burden. Mm -hmm. And so it was very hard for them. And I'm just talking about a few of them. But... Um, because, you know, people will want to get in their t position about things and stuff. Well, and, and did some of these kids that didn't believe that at first read his book and oh, yeah, change yeah. their mind? Maybe. Yeah. 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 I think it's just like anybody else. But at least it gives them the opportunity, you know. Yeah. When, when we talked one time before, you told me about um, having an author visit from death row by mm -hmm. telephone. Right. Can you talk about that? I thought that was so intriguing. Okay, don't do this at the beginning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, Stanley Tukey Williams um, was the co-founder of the Crips and he uh, really started writing books for youth about his experiences and a lot of the gang stuff really is indoctrination and uh, the kids really believe it. And so you've got a kid that's you know, really thinks this is the right thing to do, and they really do. They really think it's the right thing to do, and um, and anyway, so he, I forget how it all came about, but 
I just arranged, I had him call on my cell phone, and I, of course, with the, um, you know, with the permission of all the authorities. So he called on my cell phone, and I held up my cell phone, and then the kids talked to him through the cell phone. And it was, uh, it was great. It was really, and then when he was executed, I also had a program to help support the youth with that, because kids are still pissed off about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, Again, I think that's relevant, though, because you're, this is what's happening out in the world, and they need to be connected to that. To, they need to be a part of society instead of just locked away here. Well, it, it seems to me, in a in a certain way, they they were they were um, separate from society even when they were in it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, people don't go out and sell drugs because they want to. They really don't. You know, we need an economy that supports people of color and um, that supports people. Yeah. What would you say is the most important thing that you do as a librarian working with incarcerated kids? Advocate. Okay. And how do you do that? Oh, gosh. Many, many ways. I mean, I love Young Adult Library Services Association because um, one time I had somebody ask me, they go, um, you're not a librarian. You're 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 like something else. I'm like, no, I'm a librarian. And <laughs> and they're librarians the, that look like me. Yeah. And look at the competencies for young adult librarians on the Yalsa webpage. Um, and it's all about connecting with the community and um, all that kind of stuff. But the advocacy on all. I mean, I need to I need to listen and then I need to advocate on all levels. And that that is really challenging. I mean, it, it, again, so another quality, maybe. I'm not saying somebody who doesn't have these qualities mm -hmm. can do my job, but I think you got kind of got to be an extrovert, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I'm not a cataloger. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I know you're not a cataloger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing against catalogers. I just couldn't do it, you know. Yeah. 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 And, and what do you enjoy, like, on a daily basis doing your work? You just said, I'm not a cataloger. Well, what do, you, what do you bring to your work on a, on a regular basis that makes you want to keep doing it? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I, I really I feel like I have probably the best job. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I can bring a lot of creativity, and I love to multitask, and I, I love the variety of work that I do. Um, so I, I can vision in the so so all that kind of stuff. I'm not I'm not a, a and you know I'm not a person that I like I like not knowing what I'm doing and figuring it out. Does that? Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> I I, I yeah. like that. And so on a daily basis, when you go to work, you don't know what you're going to face. And and it seems to me that that is. Um, that is more intense, perhaps, because of the situation that you're in. Yeah. Would you say that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's not like, I mean, obviously, there's things I do every day and such. But, yeah, I mean, the other day, I mean, I came in, and all of a sudden, the staff is like, no, we can't have hardback books. And it's like, OK, well, since 2006, we have been able to have hard. Right. So then I have to go deal with that. And or oh, there was this other thing that happened. I was like, oh, this is coming up again. Um, 
I can't remember what it was now, but oh yeah, well I mean lots of times I, I you know I create the schedule, the kids are coming to the library, now they aren't coming to the library. You have to be able to deal with that stuff because that's every single day. You don't know there's a fight and so the kids aren't there and I'm still committed to providing service, so how do I do that? And you how do you do that? Well again, you need to be an advocate. So it's like and you need to understand the system you're working in, so it's like, okay, let me give them a couple hours. Okay, hi, ready? Mm-hmm. You know, or mm-hmm. can I come down there, or just different, different ways. It sounds like you have to be really flexible, yeah. and you're also not just an advocate for your kids outside the facility, but you're an advocate with the staff as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely, I have to be, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you want to keep on doing this? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. 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 I know. I'd love to, really, I'd love to assist other people. And I, I went to, uh, I was at ALA for the Chicago, and I went to their lockdown facility. And um, actually for another reason, because we're instituting um, a program in our facility that they, they have over there. And so I was looking at the library, and I was like, oh, boy. Um, and I got all excited. I'm like, I know exactly what to do. And, you know, and then on the way out, this, um, my friend who had brought me in there, I introduced, introduced me to the superintendent and said, here's the woman who's going to help with the library. And I'm just waiting for the phone call, you know, because yeah. it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really like So one of the things you'd like to do is kind of spread the word about Definitely. what you're doing. Definitely, yeah. Cool. It needs to happen. I mean, unfortunately, there are, I think California has the highest incarceration rate or something horrible and 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 distressing and so if that if that's happening we need to be in there and I'm all for not locking up people but if we are locking up people we need to be in there and providing service absolutely sort of like it the the kind of mandate that I was under in the 70s um, wanting to serve everybody yeah. in the population. Yeah. I mean, I have 250 youth in my facility at any one time. Mm-hmm. That's a significant amount of kids, and, and some of those kids are in there for a long time. I, I think that's significant. Yeah, you know? yeah, I do too. Well, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, what would you tell, what's the one thing that you think is essential in being able to do your job. If, if you were talking to a group of library school students, what would you say is the most important thing? Well, uh, um, sorry, the, I didn't. <laughs> the most important thing. Um, well, okay. I mean, you this have is to be a, able to, to respect the I, I was actually about to say okay. I think it's I, I think it actually might be about respect and and also this isn't the right word exactly but I mean I have made so many mistakes so it's kind of like humility too like which I actually probably didn't have when I first started you know and I have now <laughs> but nobody um, does <laughs> and it's like because you come in they're like yeah I'm gonna like you know and it's like oh no you aren't you yeah. know you are yeah. not gonna do that and it's like okay um, so it's really about listening to what and, 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 and being able to see what needs to happen and then finding a way to have that happen. And that is really about respect and being able to develop a trust um, with, with everybody, you know, staff and the kids and everybody. 
I mean, of course you have to have the knowledge of the books and the, and also just kind of have the stupidity to ask people that you would never think would come in, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Okay. Um, I don't know if anybody in the audience has any questions. Was there a large selection of bilingual, bilingual literature, like Spanish um, literature alongside the English language literature? Uh, well, was there? No. Is there now? Yeah. I try and uh, definitely I, I, I am multi, I mean, here's, here's the drawback. You know, I'm white, I'm middle class, I don't speak another language, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I just go out and I, I find, in fact, I was at the car repair shop the other day and there was a Samoan guy there and I have the Samoan kid in there who's like, I want to read stuff about Samoa. So I asked him, I go, hey, what do you got, do you read, do you like to read, what do you read about your culture? So it's being able to uh, do that kind of outreach. I do have Spanish materials, I don't really have anything else due to my budget and there's not a lot of kids that don't read English or Spanish that I have. Okay, um, first of all, thank you very much, Amy, for coming. Mm. It was really interesting. I actually have three questions, mm. so take a drink. Um, <laughs> um, my first question is, is there any, or has any follow-up been done? Clearly, you've made a difference in the lives of at least some of the kids in your institution. Mm -hmm. um, does any of that carry over when they get outside? I mean, is any follow-up being done? Do they keep reading? Do they try to go to the library? Do they, you know, ha do you know if, if it's just that while you're there mm -hmm. and the way you, you know, are offering your, yeah. your stuff, is there any follow-up that it has made any real long-term? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, I have to say, and I don't mean this in an egotistical way, like you said, some of the, I actually think I really impact all the kids. Okay. I really do. Um, I don't know what, how, but um, uh, no, due to me being one person, I haven't done um, any kind of follow-up really, although what I will tell you is I had this young girl, a lot of the kids come and go, you know, they said so they come back, and I'm listening to her talking and she was like, yeah, you know, when I got out, I went to the library, and um, she was telling this to this other girl, and she was like, you know, and I looked for these three books and I couldn't, I could find, and I, so I just asked her, I said, did you go to the library before? And she said, no, um, if I ever did, it was just to use the computer. Did you ever check a book out of the library? No. She, but when I started reading in here, I really got excited and I wanted to show my cousin this book. And so I asked my mom to take me to the library and get me a library card. And this girl also attributed um, being in the library and reading to passing her, uh, I don't know. GED. Yeah, I don't think it was a GED, it was something else. But um, so I hear those stories quite a bit, and um, so I'd love to. Hey, I know. Get me an intern, and that's what we'll do. That'd be great. So it would be great to know yeah. if there was a follow-up. Absolutely. There's a lot of influence. Absolutely, there. I think that'd be now great. My second question was: um, Do you do any kind of proactive education? I mean, in the sense of using the, the materials that you have to have like discussions with the kids about, you know, the fact is that you know, if you do something, there are consequences. Yes. Um, so it's not just like here's here's good reading, here's things that will relate to your lives, mm -hmm. but, but kind of proactive kind of education yes. without making it seem like education. Absolutely, um, we actually have a program that is a it's a male responsibility and accountability program taught by some guys who did like 20 years. Because mm -hmm. see, the thing is, these kids they don't really trust somebody like you going up there. We, you and I would say the same thing. These guys say that have done 20 years, mm -hmm. they're not going to pay attention to us. Mm -hmm. 
but they pay attention to these guys. So yeah, absolutely. And that, that um, hi, I need funding. Yeah. And then my third question goes back to something you said earlier, and I'm really guilty of this. I mean, I have been driven from my local public library, or I feel I've been driven from mm -hmm. my local public library. I don't go there anymore mm -hmm. because there's a lot of teens that come in. Yeah. And they're, I mean, it gets back to what you said. It's this horrible kind of, I mean, and I know it's a bad attitude, mm -hmm. but I go in there and it's so unpleasant because mm -hmm. they're very, very loud. They're pushing, they're shoving. Um, it's just not pleasant mm. for me anymore, so I, mm. you know, I skulk away. Yeah, um, and I go huh. somewhere else. That's I go, interesting. I yeah. go to a bookstore, and so it gets right. back to what you said. Um, what is the solution? Because obviously, we do have patrons who are being kind of who don't feel comfortable using the library. But equally, you made a very valid point. The library is for everyone in the mm -hmm. community, um, and different, you know, different cultures behave differently. That's just just cultural the way that they behave mm -hmm. and so is the answer just like a separate teen space oh yeah or that'd what, be great what do you I mean how do you solve that or you have any suggestions for solving well I, I mean a, a teen space absolutely absolutely is, is great I mean you know I wrote my my thesis on how libraries are for white and middle-class people and so it's all it's interesting to me because I think I think that is changing and and I think I think it's changing because our demographics are changing and um, uh, you know, is is the library world, you know, uh, able to handle all that, those changes? Because, yeah, I understand that you're being driven out. I get that. I get that. The thing is, they probably don't aren't happy either. I don't think anybody's happy, really, you know. So Team Spaces is a great idea. I love it. Yeah. And there's another question. In your outreach to the local community, is there an opportunity for volunteers to come alongside you uh -huh. and work with the youth? Yeah. And the second question is, can, um, do, does the community help support you in terms of resources, providing books, and whether or not other materials like CDs or DVDs are part of your collection? I haven't. Um, my next thing, I've, 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 I laugh. I laugh to my... Um, Super, assistant superintendent go it's coming which is books on tape that's what I really want to get in there and there's there are issues there's a lot of security yeah. issues and such um, but that's my next thing I, I've been wanting to do that for like four years so that's how long it takes you know um, uh, was wondering about volunteers, volunteers. Um, I don't get a lot of, of uh, donations because I'm really picky about what I bring in everything in there is something I I you know, I want, it's got to be high interest. I do have um, some depth to the collection, but I, I need those kids to go to the bookshelf and find something they like. So some old book isn't going to work. But money, yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, thank Amy. You. I've really great. enjoyed hearing you talk about what you do and also the fact that you have such a good time doing it. Thank you. It's, yeah. it's great being here. So thank you very much. Um, we appreciate your, your coming, and um, hopefully uh, some of the folks that have a chance to listen to this will um, get inspired to do what you do yeah, and have a, a good call. time. Give me a call. Okay. Any questions? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.